Jeremiah 31, the first 14 verses. And the context here is the restoration of the people of God after exile. So Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people survive the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when the watchman will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and her who is in labour together. A great company they shall return here. With weeping they shall come. And with pleas for mercy, I will bring them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Thanks, Steve. Be really good if you keep your Bible open there at Jeremiah uh, 31. And as we uh, begin to consider, let's uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we do want to thank you for uh, your Word, the Bible. Thank you, as we saw uh, last week, uh, that we get to hear it uh, in so many different ways, and we uh, get to hear it uh, preached this morning. Lord God, we. Uh, Remember last week and remember that hearing uh, is not enough. Uh, Lord God, we want to be doers of your word. And so this morning we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit uh, would work in our hearts and in our minds. uh, That he would enable us to understand 
uh, what you are saying. Lord, that he would uh, penetrate the word deeply in our hearts. That we might be caused to live for you. So Lord, we ask this uh, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I want to uh, begin this uh, sermon by asking you a bit of a question, uh, rhetorical, so don't put hands up uh, and try to answer them or call out. Um, The question is quite simply this, uh, what is it that makes uh, you happy? What is it uh, that really fills you with joy? Uh, We've had a number of uh, babies born into families of this church in the last little while, and Maybe some of us remember that moment at the birth of our children and go, that, that really filled me with tremendous joy. It was, it was incredible. I was so happy at that moment. Now they're a little bit older and they answer back, maybe not quite so joyful, but then oh, that, was, that was wonderful. Uh, it's footy season and it's coming to finals time, isn't it? So, so maybe some of us are thinking, When my team uh, wins the flag, goes all the way, uh, that will be, that has been, that's been the moment of incredible joy. Uh, That's the moment when I am at my happiest. Uh, Maybe for you, it's just sitting by yourself with a good book, uh, spending some alone time. Uh, Maybe it's catching up with your your best friend, uh, having a coffee together and just talking and spending time together. Maybe it's that time of your day where you get to go to the gym or you go out for a run and all of a sudden things just seem better. Maybe it's simply enjoying a really good meal. There have been lots and lots of studies done about what uh, makes us happy. Uh, One of the most famous at the moment is uh, the Harvard study. It is a study which has been going for 75 years. Uh, tracking a group of people and asking the question, what is it that makes us happy? And they have uh, come down to one single answer, that our happiness is dependent on our relationships. The depth and quality of our relationships determines the extent and the state of our joy and our happiness. Uh, Every year, Australia conducts the wellness uh, study, the well-being study, and every year it comes up with the golden triangle. Uh, Three things, it says, which make us happy. They are purposeful, meaningful work, uh, the depth of our relationships, quality relationships, and financial security. Have those three things, it says, and you are likely to be a person who is happy and content and filled with joy. We know a lot of answers, don't we, about, about what makes us happy and what brings us joy. You can answer the question, what is it that makes you happy? And we can read the studies. We can see what it is that makes people happy. And yet when we think about it, (laughs) we are a society and a world which is quite often unhappy. There seems to be so many things about life which get us down. There seem to be things which inhibit us, which stop us from experiencing the joy that somehow we believe we're meant to experience. We get frustrated because we don't seem to be as joyful as maybe the Bible tells us that we should be. Well, this morning as we read Jeremiah 31, we read, as Steve pointed out, of a people 
who are going through a very difficult time. They are in the process of being led out to captivity. They are God's people uh, being taken away from their land, uh, receiving curses from God for their behavior. Their future is uncertain. Uh, They don't know whether they will survive, whether they will come back. Uh, They don't know what's to be expected. But yet in the middle of that, God paints them a picture of a people of extreme joy. You notice that theme as we're reading through it? There are people who are joyful and celebrating and happy and enjoying life. And God says to them, this is what is coming for you. So this morning we want to think about this joy. And I really want to think really just about three things. Firstly, where does it come from? Where does joy, what's the source of joy? Secondly, how do we get to experience it? How does it, how does it come into our lives? And thirdly, how is it going to be expressed? What does it look like? So let's start then with the source. What, where does this joy come from? Is joy and happiness simply a matter of getting the right chemicals happening in our brains? The right bits of our brains firing, the right endorphins flowing through our bodies? Is it just a matter of getting the external stimulus right? Is joy something that comes from within us? Or is joy something that comes from without, from outside of us? Well, as God paints this picture here, he paints people who are extremely exuberant and joyful in the lives that they are living. Listen, have a look at some of the, some of the ways it describes people here. Uh, starting uh, at verse um, 4, the second half of it. It says, Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planter shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. Jump down and have a look at verse 12. Uh, it says there, They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. That's a great picture, isn't it? People of all ages, uh, people going about their work and enjoying it, uh, people uh, expressing that as they dance and as they sing. And we think as we read that, I would like to have what they have. Uh, Whatever they're taking, I want to take. Uh, Whatever they're doing to get this, I want to do. But when we dig a little bit deeper, I realize that this this is not a joy that they've found for themselves. This is a joy which has been given by God. You see, throughout this passage, God and his work is talked about in a very particular way. Use a number of words and phrases which are meant to remind us that God is a covenant God, a relationship God 
with his people. Have a look at verse 1 there. Look at what it says. It says, I will be the God of the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. This is God's great relationship promise. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Have a look down there at verse 3, the second half of it, and see what it says there. It says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. It describes God as one who is God who has everlasting love, eternal love for his people. Look at verse 10, the second half of there. It says, He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. He's describing God as that wonderful imagery of a shepherd who loves, cares for, and provides for his people. And then verse 11, for the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. It's got that great language of God taking a people who are slaves, uh, who are uh, in exile, and rescuing them, redeeming, paying, paying the price for them to come back to himself. There are people celebrating and there are people living in great joy. But the source of that joy is not found within themselves. The source of that joy is a covenantly faithful God who brings his people back to himself. A covenantly faithful God who pays the price to bring people back into relationship with himself. And we know that ultimately, as God gives this word to his people, he is pointing them forward to the work of his own son. The expression of God's everlasting love. The means by which he brings his scattered sheep back to himself. The one who will pay the ransom, the price needed to rescue slaved people back to God. That's the incredible work that Jesus has done on the cross. He has paid the necessary price so that slaves and rebels can be brought back home to God. And this Jeremiah 31 says, is the source of all true joy and the source of gladness and the source of rejoicing to be rescued by an everlasting loving Father and to have our sin forgiven and to be brought home to Him. Ah, but we say, what do we do with all the struggle and all the difficulty, all the joy killers that still exist in our lives? What do we do with the illness? And what, and what do we do with the, with, with the body that doesn't work properly and the relationships that strain and my job, which is a hassle, and my boss who won't give me a break and the kids uh, who are just annoying? Uh, what do we do with all of these things that are going on around us that seem to be joy killers? Well, have a look with me just at verse 7, because it's really important here. Let me show you something. It says, Thus says the Lord, 
Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Who's he talking to? He's talking to people going off into captivity and with uncertain futures and with great difficulty in their lives. And he says, because you know that this is coming. Because God has promised it to you. Rejoice. Sing. Praise God. Because while we haven't experienced everything, the whole restoration that is to come, the restoration of our bodies and of creation and all of our relationships, rejoice in the certainty that it is still to come. Well, that's the source. That's where it comes from. It comes from being rescued, delivered by God, and knowing that his rescue is to be made full when Jesus comes again. Well, how then do you and I experience it? How does this joy come to us? In 2008, there was a movie uh, with Will Smith. It was based on a book uh, called The Pursuit of Happiness. I don't know um, whether you saw it or not. Um, In this movie... Uh, Will Smith, the character that Will Smith plays, uh, begins life on the streets um, with his son. Um, He doesn't have a job. Uh, He has no future, no hope. There's no money, uh, no savings. And the movie is basically about his climb uh, out of poverty, out of homelessness, uh, into a job, into a house um, with he and his son. And by the end of it, he's living sort of this nice, uh, prosperous life. And the message that comes through in this movie is... Um, Set your heart on it, uh, dream about it, work hard for it, pursue it, and happiness, joy, that will come to you. And for much of the time, that's kind of our default thinking. Joy is a reward, a goal to be reached. Uh, Joy and happiness is something to be attained. Uh, If I can work hard enough for it, I will be happy and I will be joyful. I think that this passage challenges that. Because it describes joy not as a reward to be reached, but as a gift which is given. A gracious gift of God which is given to people. And a gift that is given... As we let go of our efforts to achieve it for ourselves. There's something going on in this passage that I want to point out. And it starts there uh, at verse 9. If you want to have a look. It says this. With weeping they shall come. And with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Jump down again to the second half of verse 13. I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. What's going on here? God is bringing his people into joy, but he's bringing them through sorrow, through mourning. 
through weeping. God is them bringing them through an experience of captivity. Now, they weep and they mourn because of their circumstances, don't they? I mean, you, you live in as a foreigner. You live as a slave. You, you're not sure of your future. You weep and you mourn. But there's something deeper going on here as well. They weep and they mourn because they realize that they are being punished for their sin and their rebellion. They realize that they have walked away from God. And this is the consequence for it. And as God leads them into joy, he leads them through weeping and mourning. They realize the futility of the way that they've been living, of the trusting in other gods, of the reliance on their status as the children of God, on their reliance as Jerusalem as a safe city, on their reliance of their alliance on their alliances with other nations. They weep because they have trusted in everything that is not God to save and rescue them. And as they let go of those reliances, God brings them back to himself and he rescues them and he fills them with tremendous joy. So if you've come to faith in Jesus, my guess is that you, you came to th- faith and you came to a time of incredible joy to realize that your sin was forgiven and that the punishment was taken by Jesus. But to get there, you went through a place of deep sorrow. You realize the weight of our sin and we realize the weight of our rebellion and what it deserves. That brings tremendous guilt and grief and sorrow. The great news of the gospel is that God, as we go through that, he shows us his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. And he gives us great joy in knowing that that has been dealt with in Jesus completely. And he shows us that that joy was not earned and it was not worked for and it was not favor that we deserved. But it was an incredibly gracious gift from him. And as we walk the Christian life and as we walk with Jesus, there are times when that happens over and over again. There are times when we read God's word and we are convicted by the work of the Holy Spirit, of our other trust and our other reliances, our other false sources of joy. And God leads us through grief into joy as we trust once again for Jesus. You see, one of our greatest struggles and our greatest issues is we keep going looking for joy In all the wrong places. We keep going looking for happiness. That is fleeting. And temporary. Maybe we go looking for it in our our jobs. We get so much tremendous satisfaction from the work that we do. Maybe it's the work building something. And we 
love it when at the end of it, we look at it and it's done. Yeah. Or it's doing the accounts and balancing the books and it all works out at the end of it. Or it's just, you know, the service that we give to other people. Until it doesn't work. And it doesn't go right. And it becomes a labor and a chore. Or, or maybe, we, maybe we, we go looking for the joy in the sport that we play. And it's great. We, we love it and we win. Or even if we don't win, it, we, we just love the competition until we get an injury. And we can't do it. And it doesn't provide the same joy that it did before. We, we go through a whole number of things. Maybe it's relationships. Uh, maybe it's holidays. Uh, maybe it's coming to church. Like looking for all these things. And ultimately, they keep us from the true source of joy. They keep us from trusting in Jesus. And they always fall short. And they always let us down. The great news, though, is that if God convicts us of that, He brings us through grief and into joy, which is a gift from Him. And what we incredibly find is that those things that we used to look at as sources of joy then become expressions of the joy that we now have in Jesus. You see, this incredible reversal takes place. That those very things that we looked at to provide us with that joy now become wonderful expressions of the joy that we now have in Jesus. That's where we want to finish. Let me just highlight a few things that are going on here. Firstly, this joy is expressed in enjoying creation the creation that God has given us. Did you notice that as we, as we read through these verses, that so much of this joy is about the things that God has made? There's planting vineyards and enjoying the fruit. There's the enjoyment of our bodies in dancing. Uh, there is um, grain and oil. There is flocks and herds. There is this incredible jo- enjoyment being expressed in the gifts that God has given us. This wonderful creation. And so instead of creation and the things that God has given us, our bodies, our work, uh, food, becoming the things that give us the joy, they become these wonderful expressions of the joy that we now have in Jesus. We don't need to demand from them happiness and contentment and fulfillment. We don't need to demand of our work that it brings us joy. We don't need to demand of our relationships or of our body, of our sport or our food, that it brings us happiness because we know that that joy has come to us in Jesus. And now we're freed to express that joy in being a part of these things in God's good and logical and loving limits. It means that we can enjoy wine without turning it into drunkenness. And we can enjoy our work without it becoming enslaving. And we can enjoy and participate in relationships without seeking them to bring to us what is given to us already 
in Christ. Not only is that expression of joy in creation, but there's that expression of joy in worship. Have a look down there at verse 7. Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and shout, raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. This wonderful joy of being rescued by God, being brought home, finds expression in worship. Whether that's private and individual, whether it's public and together, the joy that we have from God overflows in expressions of love and praise and honor to the God who has given it to us. You see, worship, worship doesn't, become the source of joy. We don't gather together to sing to make us happy. We gather together to sing because God has filled our lives and our hearts with joy in Jesus. We don't pray to God because the act of prayer makes us happy. We pray to God because he has filled our hearts with joy in Jesus. And I suggest that when these two things happen, the enjoyment of creation and the expression of joy in worship, when they, when they are present in our lives, there's a third expression of joy here. And that is mission. It expresses something to the world around us about what God has done and who we have become in Jesus. Look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. As God brings people back to himself, as they find joy in him, as they participate in the creation that he has given them, and as they express themselves in worship, it becomes a bold proclamation to the world of who God is and what he has done in our lives. And mission no longer becomes a box to be ticked, a chore to be done, but an expression of the wonderful joy that we have been given in Jesus. Let's pray to him now, shall we? Lord God, we want to thank you for this incredible gift. This gift of being brought back to you through Jesus. Of being given hope and forgiveness and peace and abundant joy. Lord God, we thank you that we no longer need to seek joy in anything and everything else. We thank you that it has been given to us in Christ in abundance. And we pray, Lord, that we, we would no longer go hunting for it and finding it elsewhere. We'd no longer see it as a reward to earn, but we would receive it as a wonderful gift from you. We pray these things and we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.